Good morning. If you have your Bibles, this morning we're going to be starting in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And if you want to get some bookmarks to make the transitions easier, we're going to also be looking at Genesis chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 6. We are still, we're in the in the church season, the season after Epiphany, uh, in the traditional church calendar, and Epiphany is the the appearing of the Lord, and the season of Epiphany is trying to is is meditating on how how the Lord showed Himself in His ministry and how He He showed God by the things we did, and we one of the the first Sunday uh, after Epiphany is usually the baptism of the Lord, and we talk about how when the Holy Spirit came down, it marked him out as God's son. So there's different, different aspects. And the traditional three things the church looks at are they'll look at uh, the visit of the Magi, when, which is basically the world acknowledging that, that he, the, the Messiah of Israel is not just the king of Israel, but is going to be the savior of the world. The baptism of Jesus where he's revealed uh, by the descending of the dove and then the wedding feast at Cana where he reveals something about himself when he changes water to wine. But there's other kind of lower key things. And one of those we're going to look at today is, is the calling of his disciples and how he showed himself to them and how he brought them into something. So if you have your Bibles in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. After he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Then in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, Talk about Abram. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed (laughs) through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old. When he set out from Haran. And then Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 to 8. 
God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Well, these three passages are all linked by the theme of being called, of God calling people. Now, we all come from a context. We, none of us just one day woke up on the sidewalk somewhere and started life. We all come from a family. We all come from a background. Nowadays, that doesn't carry the same baggage, the same momentum with it that it did in times past. Now, the family I'm from, on my mother's side of the family, all, all, well, the four generations before her all worked for the railroad. From, from the time there was a railroad, that family worked for the railroad. My grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, his father, and various male relatives on that side. It was just the family business. And there was kind of an expectation that that's what would the male members of that family would go into. It was never put into words. It was never formally stated, but that was just how it was expected. You would kind of follow your, follow your parents the same way. That's as close as I think I can come to understanding the world of this time. You did what your family did. There wasn't a lot of career mobility. If your father was a fisherman, you were going to be a fisherman with him. If your father was a blacksmith, you were going to be a blacksmith with him. If your father was a carpenter, you were going to be a carpenter with him. If your father was God, we're going to be God. Now, my mom, because the, the rules of succession in that family didn't apply to daughters, nobody thought a daughter would go to work uh, for the railroad, she became a physicist, which was a break with tradition. And uh, my dad was an engineer, so I come from this family of physicists and engineers. My sister, kind of dropping back into that pattern, she was a physicist. Then you have that, that science and mathematics background. I'm a historian and a pastor, so we know who the black sheep of the family is. You know, don't talk about that one. Well, the disciples here, they have that context. They, they know what to expect from life. My dad was a fisherman. I'm, I'm in the boat with him. I'm going to be a fisherman. But something interrupted that. Jesus came by, and he called them, and they followed him. They left the life that they had. This is the pattern of God with people. 
Now, we believe that this, the Bible is the story of God's working with us. We believe the Bible story starts with creation, God making a good creation that he intended to share with us. And through the bad choices of our forefathers, that became broken. Creation became broken. We became subject to death and frustration because of it. And God began his work to redeem his creation. And he started his work redeeming his creation with a call. He called to Abraham. Or he called Abram before he changed his name to Abraham. And he said, come out. You're going to come out from your father's people. I'm going to bring you to a new land. I am going to give you an inheritance there. I'm going to bless you there. And through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And he did that. And he gave him and his descendants, he made them into a big family. And then he moved that family down into Egypt. And in Egypt, they became so numerous, they changed from being a family to being a nation, to being a people. And what did he do? He called that people group out of Egypt. He said, now I'm going to bring you out of here. And I'm going to establish something. And he established the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel became the vehicle for his plan. But they did not fulfill what God wanted them to do in the plan. They kind of lost their way. And as a result of that, that kingdom fractured in two, and then it became subject, first the north kingdom, and then the southern half of the kingdom became subject to conquering by other powers and were carried off into exile. And at the time of Jesus, they'd returned from exile, but they'd never returned to that status of, of being a nation again. Now, if they would have thought about it, they're still under the call. They're still God's people on mission. But for them, they had interpreted that as always being the kingdom. So they were looking for that political kingdom to be reestablished. But that's not what God was doing, and that was not what God was calling them into. This happens not only with the people of God, but this happens with us as well. Now, I'm assuming, I don't know everybody's history, but probably most of the people in here are here because you have, you've come to faith in Christ. Well, when that happened, you were called from one way of life, from one way of doing things, into something else. That's very much like the call of Abraham. You're being called out of one way of life and into a new life. But most of us here have probably been in that life for a while. So sometimes we can end up being like the nation of Israel, where we're still in that new life, we're in that situation we, we always talk about as believers. We're in the situation of the already and the not yet. Christ has already come. He's already died. He's made reconciliation between us and God but the world doesn't look like a completely restored paradise because we're waiting for that. That's the already part. Now, in that journey, sometimes we can forget what's going on and we need to be called again. Here we have these first disciples. The context of this is John has been baptizing and John has been calling the nation of Israel back to repentance. But right before this, this passage, John is arrested. And when John is arrested, up till that point, the ministry of Jesus was 
just to grow up, to learn. But once John's arrested, the mantle of the advancing of the kingdom of God passes to Jesus. And the first thing he does is he begins to travel. He goes from where he was baptized on the Jordan into Galilee, and he announces the good news, and he chooses disciples. His disciples are just going about their daily business. They're fishing with their families, and Jesus says, come follow me, and they immediately follow him. Sometimes things happen like that. Some people, I'm sure you've heard the testimonies, one day they hear the gospel and immediately they're like, yes, and boom, off they go. Wasn't, Wasn't quite like that for me. If I had been here, I would have been like, um, that sounds really good. Um, I'm just making another fishing trip with dad. Sounds really good. I'm not, not writing it off, you know. Luckily, God has patience and God calls different people in different ways. But here, the disciples followed him because they realized something new was happening. They didn't understand what it was. I guarantee if you'd asked them at that point what they thought was going to happen, they probably could have given a lot of different answers, none of which would have gotten close to what was actually going to happen but they left and followed him well when God calls us what are the things that keep us from following God what are the things that keep us from answering that call you know you'd think it's God and he's calling and we believe in God we just go but sometimes things get in the way one of the easiest things to get in the way is we're comfortable Things are pretty good. It's like, man, we we just got a bigger boat. I mean, look at these nets. They're really fresh. It's pretty good right now. Always get fish to eat for dinner. Have that lovely fish fillet sandwich. Thinking of opening my own franchise. I don't want to jeopardize that. Even when things are bad, it can be comfortable. Egypt was not a good place for the nation of Israel. They were suffering. They were being given hard tasks. They were being given harder tasks. Their babies were being killed. Yet, as we read the story of the Exodus, some of them were much more comfortable with that than following God. They're like, well, you know, at least we got to eat all the leeks and onions we could eat back in Egypt. Now we're in the desert and we have this stuff falls on the ground and we eat this. I'm not sure we trade it up. And um, I mean, and, and if biblically, the manna that fell from heaven that fed them in the desert, in Hebrew, that pretty much means this stuff. What's this? Um, you know, so you can be comfortable. And, and even if things aren't perfect, you can be comfortable because it's what you know. And change, change can be scary. Change Bad stuff happens when things change. Which leads us to the second thing, fear. It's like, I don't know if I can do what you're calling me to do, God. I don't, you're wandering around the desert, nowhere to sleep, and I don't know if I can do that. You're Moses. I, you know, I know you're, you're calling me to go to your people, but, you know, I'm, 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 I, I mumble. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Sometimes it's just fear. Sometimes we look at what we're being called to, we, we sense that call, and we go, yeah, you're God, you're calling me, but I can't do that. There's giants in the land. 
There's, there's big, scary people in that city. I can't do that. We're used to those two things, and they take a lot to overcome. But then, especially when you've been walking with the Lord for a while, there's kind of a third thing that can come and keep you from answering the call of God. And that's that you don't, you lose the ability to believe things can change. It's very easy to look at the way your life has gone, to look at the way things have gone, and to think, well, this is always the way they're going to go. One of the adaptations we have as humans in our brains that helps us navigate the world is our brains are little prediction machines. They're always assessing what's going on and trying to predict what's going to happen next. It's how we make sense of the world, and it's how we expect things. And what we have to shape our view of the world and to shape our expectations is the history of what we've experienced. So it's really hard to envision that somehow the future will not be what the past has been. You can see this if we read Ecclesiastes. You read Ecclesiastes and the first thing, the very first chapter when the the teacher is giving his speech and he's saying everything is transitory. Everything's, depending on your translation, meaningless or vanity. It's, it's neither of those things. The Hebrew word is hevel, which is fog. Everything is just insubstantial and passing away. And he makes this statement and he says, everything that has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, if you're raised in a tradition, or if you come to faith in a tradition that says, that uncritically looks at the whole Bible and says, oh, it's all the word of God and it's all true. It, it is the word of God, but this is the Bible God wanted us to have. But that does not mean every speaker in every place is saying the things that God would have you say. And I would, I would uh, hazard a guess that this part of Ecclesiastes is one of those things, because you have this kind of weary teacher of wisdom in Ecclesiastes saying there's nothing new. What has been will be again. That's one voice. That's the voice of the world that we live in. That's the way things go. Nothing new can really happen. But God's different. And we could get a sense of this because God will send one of his prophets, a man named Isaiah. And one of the things Isaiah is going to tell the nation of Israel is, I'm going to do it. God is saying, I'm going to do a new thing, something brand new. Of those two viewpoints, both of which you can find in the Bible, I think you will find that God lines up much more behind, I'm going to do a new thing, than nothing can change. In psychology, they call that the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And a fixed mindset says, this is the way it's always been, this is the way it's always going to be. Sometimes it's because we don't believe that change can happen. Sometimes it's because we think change can't be good. One of the most, you know, if you list all the creeds and beliefs, statements of beliefs, statements of faith that the Christian communities have spoken to kind of say where they are over the centuries, we have things like the Nicene Creed, uh, the Apostles' Creed, and they summarize belief and different bodies of, of the church accept different ones, and most can agree on several central ones. 
But of all those spoken ones, I think actually the most common creed of the church is one that we don't say out loud intentionally, but it's, well, this is the way we've always done it. I think that is probably a more universal creed in the church than any of the statements of belief. But it can limit you because the way you've always done it has done what it has done up to this point. But if you're going to go somewhere where you're not now, you're going to have to leave that. That can be scary. I can remember uh, in 1997, um, I was standing down in Georgia at a little state park called Amaclola Falls State Park. And it's a beautiful state park. But one of the things that's there is the southern end of the Appalachian Trail. And I was standing there, and I could have said, this is a nice park. I like being outside, so I'm just going to stay in this park. That wasn't why I was there. I wasn't there to enjoy that nice park. I was there to start walking north. And if I had just stayed there, I would stay there. And sometimes that can be real tempting. Um, It's, you know, if it's rainy or if it's cold or if people are just mean, it's it's really tempting to stay where you are. But if you're going to make progress, you have to leave where you are. And if the kingdom of God is going to advance in us, we have to leave where we are. This calls for great humility because while we want to leave where we are, we also want to maintain continuity with where we were. Now, some things you need to make a break from. If you came from an absolutely horrible background, you need to put that away and go on. But many times when we're called to go on, we need to do it with respect for where we've come from. This is why When God is speaking to Moses and telling Moses, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, he says, by the way, I am am the God of Abraham and Isaac and of your forefathers. This is part of what's going on. When Jesus is calling his disciples and bringing them out, he's not bringing them out into something new. He's not like, I'm here to tell you about Buddhism. That's not it, and I'm not saying that to pick on Buddhism. I'm just saying this was the continuity of what God had always been doing through the nation. This wasn't something new, even though it would look to all the people there like something new, like, oh my gosh, look at these people. They have no respect for tradition, but it really is carrying it on. One of the things we have nowadays, if you hear the term radical, what do you think? You think, you know, oh, that's revolutionary, new, you know, look at those radicals trying to change everything. The Latin root of the word radical actually means root. When you talk about being radical, you're really talking about returning to the fundamentals of what things were. So when Jesus is calling people out and he's calling them to something new, he's also calling them into the restoration of what was intended originally. We are always called to keep moving on as believers there's always something else to achieve. You may think it's not possible. It's really easy sometimes to get fixed on what always has been and not believe change is possible. But we are, as much as our brains are prediction machines, 
one of the things sociologists and psychologists agree on is that they're really bad prediction machines because they do kind of help us navigate the world, but we always get it wrong. There was something I always used to say to my friends and my family back home. I would, I would be talking about possibly moving, and I would say, you know, I, I could live in the north, or I could live in the east, but I couldn't do both at once. Because, you know, I'd been to North Dakota and Montana, and I liked it, and I loved Virginia and North Carolina, and, but I'd visited New England, <laughs> Boston, and I'd just be like, yeah, it's, you know, not there. Well, things happen that you don't think can happen. I have had my entire world yanked out from under me, and at the time, based on my experience, I was like, okay, this is just how it's going to be. I had no idea what was waiting around the corner. We're bad prediction machines. So when we follow God, we always have to trust him and trust his call because we in ourselves are not good at even anticipating what might possibly be in the future. But we are good at understanding the faithfulness God has shown to us. And if he's been faithful in all the steps up to so far, we can trust him with where he's leading us to. And it will look differently for every person. Each person has something different they're called to come out of. I don't know what it will be for you. I, I know what it is for me. But it's not always the same. At the, end of, at the end of the Gospel of John, we have this scene where Jesus is addressing Peter, and he says, you know, when you, when you grow old, Somebody else is going to dress you and they're going to lead you to places you don't even want to go. And Peter looks over and sees John there and asks Jesus, well, what about him? And Jesus says, well, if I want him to be alive till I come back, what's that to you? So we're all called, but we don't all necessarily get the same call. Jesus preached to the entire nation of Israel and he told everybody, hey, all you are weary and desire rest, come follow me. But he only picked 12 of them to come and be his disciples. So not everybody gets the same call. So be aware of that and treat it with humility. But be looking for the call and know it may look different for you than somebody else. But one of the things I truly believe is that we are called to be faithful. And if we focus on other things besides the faithfulness of following God, sometimes we can miss it. Sometimes in ministry, we, we worry about being effective you know, well, I want to be effective. And, and whole quasi-denominational structures named after scripture passages and chapters um, have been founded on that. But if that's not the way God is calling you, then it's actually kind of unfaithful to go that way. So listen for the call. Know the call may look different from you, from somebody else. But be ready to be called because the nature of being a Christian is to be moving forward and to be listening for the call of the shepherd.